Sports is the last thing I thought I would be covering. The most sports that I watch is probably the gymnastics in the Olympics. I play netball and squash, but watching them? Not interested. But I wanted to cover one of the sections in today's episode and it fit nicely into the sport category. And here we are. I'm Natalie. This is Across the Ages. You know, I really do love talking about cave paintings. And today, we don't just have one example of a cave painting for this topic. We have a bunch! 17,000 years ago, some prehistoric people decided that it was important to do a spot of painting in some caves in France. Or they just fancied doing some painting just for the fun of it, we don't actually know. There's a really good In Our Time podcast episode on cave paintings. It's absolutely fascinating, which I recommend you go find immediately. After you finish listening to this episode, of course. The La Salle cave paintings feature 6,000 images depicting abstract signs, animals and human figures. It also shows the oldest depiction of sport ever found, sprinting and wrestling, though presumably not at the same time. During the Neolithic age, which is around 9,000 years ago, some other people also decided to paint a wrestling match when they were hanging out in a cave in Mongolia. Wrestling is something that appeared in pretty much every culture and civilization that I researched. They wrestled in ancient Rome, Greece, Mongolia, Europe, Egypt, the Middle East, China, and probably loads more places, but I've become bored of listing countries and cultures. If you listen to the Renegade Women Part 2 episode, then you'll remember hearing about Princess Ku Tu Yun, who was Chinggis Khan's great-great-granddaughter, challenging potential suitors to a wrestling match in order to win her hand. If she won, she'd win 100 horses. She ended up with 10,000. Yes! The Egyptians, like many other ancient societies, loved to participate in sports. Many of them are still recognisable today. They played an early version of hockey using curved sticks, they participated in swimming, liked to do a bit of roughhousing by wrestling, and to be honest, just about everything else you can think of. Javelin throwing, boxing, hunting, rowing, fishing, tug of war, the list is endless. Women liked to play too, getting involved in boxing, dance, swimming and gymnastics. Sports of one type or another were for everyone, including the pharaoh who held the Heb Sed festival, which was a place for him to compete and show how everybody how tough and strong he was. This was held after the pharaoh had ruled for 30 years, which seems like a pretty long time to wait. Amenhotep II, who, lived, who ruled between 1425 and 1400 BCE, was an excellent archer who was apparently able to shoot an arrow through a solid copper target while mounted in a chariot. The Egyptians would also stage mock battles to honour the victory of Horus in his battle against Set. Horus was an Egyptian god in the form of a falcon, who was god of the sky and kingship. Set was god of the deserts, storms, violence and foreigners. Thank goodness Horus won then, because apparently Set killed Horus's dad, Osiris. Which is totally not cool. It wouldn't be a podcast about the history of sports if I didn't cover the Olympic Games. The first recorded Olympic Games was held just under 3,000 years ago in 776 BCE. Though it's thought to be at least 500 years older, that's just because it wasn't recorded didn't mean it didn't happen. The Olympics were seen as a religious festival to honour Zeus. 
you know, the guy who was king of the Greek gods and chucks lightning bolts and stuff. In the early days of the Olympics, men from about a dozen cities converged on the historical Greek city of Elis. At the time, there was no united Greece, and a lot of the city-states just loved to be at war with each other. This might seem counterintuitive to a friendly competition, but don't worry, everyone agreed to cease fighting a month before the games, and didn't resume until they were finished. Imagine you've just killed some bloke's brother in a battle about land or titles or something, and then you end up racing against him and you have to be like, sorry mate, we can fight it out after the race is finished. Just like the modern games, it was held every four years, which led me to ask, why? The actual Olympics website says the ancient historians measured time in four-year intervals called Olympiads. But this was only the case from the Hellenistic period, which was like 300 years later than the first recorded Olympics. So I'm not sure what the answer is really. It's like the chicken and the egg, but the Olympics and the Olympiad. If anyone's able to tell me the answer, I'll send you a cookie. I'm lying, but at least you'll be able to be smug about it. The early games initially consisted of a foot race, which when initially I read about it, I was a bit like, well, that doesn't sound very exciting. However, I can imagine most of you are old enough to remember the 2012 Olympic Games when Usain Bolt won the gold in the 100 metre race in 9.63 seconds. I was on holiday in Jersey at the time, the British island, not the American Jersey Shore one, and the hotel holidaymakers started gathering in the reception area to watch the race. If you are lucky enough to see it live, you'll know that though short, races are exhilarating to watch if you're invested in a contestant like the world was invested in Bolt. What a lad. Unlike the modern games, though, the ancient race winners would not receive a gold medal, but instead got a nice olive wreath that they'd wear as a crown so everyone would know who had won. The wreath would be made from leaves from a sacred tree that grew by the temple of Zeus at Olympia, so winning the right to wear it was a big deal. Again, unlike the athletes of the modern games, the ancient Greek competitors didn't wear anything when they were racing. How you'd be able to concentrate on watching a race when there's a load of willies wanging about, I don't know. But I guess they must have been used to the spectacle. Later on, more events were added, including wrestling, boxing, horse racing, chariot racing, discus, long jump and wrestling. The list goes on. In the year 393 CE, there was a Christian Roman emperor called Theodosius I, who was determined to spoil everyone's fun and ban the games because they were all pagan and gross and against God and stuff. Why aren't we talking about women, I hear you cry? With regards to the Olympics themselves, married women were not allowed to attend, though I'm unsure whether it was the willy-wanging that was the reason. Unmarried women were allowed to attend, and they also had their own games. As male Olympics was held in the honour of Zeus, the women's equivalent was held in the honour of his wife Hera, and was called the Heraean Games. These consisted of a foot race for unmarried women, though we don't know anywhere near as much about it because, unfortunately, it wasn't as popular. That damn patriarchy! The women didn't compete naked like the dudes, but instead wore what is described as a short... Chitten? I'm sure it's not shitten. Chitten. Though it just looks like a dress. I don't really know what a chitten is. Let's just call it a dress. The dress was cut just below the butt cheeks and was a one-shoulder number which left the left boob and shoulder bare. Certainly a contrast to the Olympic Games of 1900, where women were playing tennis in corsets and floor-length skirts. I couldn't find whether men were allowed to attend the Horean Games, but I certainly hope not. Over the years, games have been added and removed from the Olympics, and requests for games to be added continues today. For example, the fact that dressage is included and squash isn't is something I find farcical. And fartsical. <laughs> Tug of War, which was in the game since the olden days, was discontinued in 1920. Though thankfully, it's still a popular event in sports days and village fates, as well as Squid Game. Jugglers out there will be sad to hear that club juggling was a thing in 1904, but didn't last long. 
Croquet was in the 1904 Olympics, one-handed weightlifting was active in the late 1800s, and rope climbing was an event between 1896 and 1932. Last but not least, between 1911 and 1915, medals were given out for painting, sculpture, literature and music. Mm Okay. Are you not entertained? Yes, it's a little section that Russell Crowe would approve of. It's gladiators. As a side note, if you haven't watched the TV series Spartacus, what are you even doing with your life? It's absolutely brilliant. It's ADCE and you're a Roman woman. You're not a slave, but you're also not in the upper classes. You're a normal citizen who's absolutely lit about going to see the games. Your name is Alba and you spend most of your days looking after six screaming kids and being yelled at by your ungrateful labourer husband when he gets home. You round up the kids and follow your husband to the brand new Colosseum, hoping that your favourite gladiator would make an appearance. Maybe you can find a few spare denarii to buy a bit of his sweat. Naughty, naughty. As you make your way towards the Colosseum, it starts to get a bit crowded, so you cling on to your kids the best you can. It's always like this on Games Day, but there's an extra throng of people who want to gawp at the stadium that can seat 50,000 people. The games were free, and Emperor Titus would be making an appearance on this extra special event that was apparently going to last 100 days. He'd only been an emperor for a year, but he was doing an alright job so far, and this was really going to make him loved by the whole of Rome. You better pace yourself. As you reach the gates, there's a load of slaves handed out food. As well as the 100 days of games, there's also 100 free days of food, which is perfect because that meat at home has gone a bit rank. You take the kids up towards the top of the stadium. Probably best not to completely scar them forever yet. Your husband sits as close as he can, still behind the posh people though, obf, to see as much violence and gore as possible. Let the games begin. You're probably thinking that every single gladiator was a slave forced to fight. Of course there were slaves. There's not a corner of Rome without some slaves. But there are also freed men and women fighting for fame, glory and coin. The Colosseum didn't just hold gladiator fights. It held theatre, executions, animal fights, chariot races and could even be flooded to hold staged naval battles. If you want to hear about Roman chariot races, I covered it in Dangerous Jobs episode. So go over and listen to that. But those aren't really sports, so let's get back on track and hear about these gladiators. There isn't just one type of gladiator, there's actually different classes. There's a Thracian, which is a simple but mobile boy with a short sword and shield. There's your Mamillo, his sword is a bit bigger, and his shield is also a big boy. He's strong but slow. There's your Ritiarius, yeah, with a net and a trident. Yes, really, he's got mad range but absolutely fucking awful armour. I don't know why he'd fuck about with a net and a trident, but it must have been at least a bit effective. Secator is next with a big shield and a stabby sword. He has some banging armour, but, but, but like the Mermillo, is slow like a turtle on a rocky beach. Velitus, or Velitus, is the lad if all you want in the arena is a spear and a loincloth. You'd better hope you're quick like a whippet, because there's not even a bit of wood to protect your knob. The Samnite is like the Thracian with a short shield and sword, but he's got a fancy helmet. Oh, God. God help me with this one. Dimacarius? Dimacarius is your dual sword boy with no armour. And at last but not least, just when you think it couldn't get any worse, the net boy, you've got the Laquarius with a trident and a noose. So he's got a bit of rope. Hope he's used to cattle ranching. So as you can tell, it's not just everyone go in and start stabbing each other. It's all about balance of weapons and armour. There are also female gladiators that were called gladiatresses, who by the first century had become a common fixture at the games. These warriors may not have been taken seriously in the patriarchal Roman culture, 
the Emperor Domitian <laughs> enjoyed pitting women against dwarves, but a few appear to have proven themselves in single combat. A marble relief dating to around 2nd century depicts a fight between two women dubbed Amazon and Achillea, who the inscription says fought to an honourable draw. Around 200 CE, the Emperor Septimus Severus banned their participation in the games. The life of a gladiator was unsurprisingly incredibly hard. To get the peak physical fitness, they had to train all day every day. The gladiators were often trained by a retired gladiator known as the Doctore, who must have been pretty good to have reached retirement, which can't have been particularly common. Over 400 years of the Colosseum being active, 400,000 people died within its walls. That's just one amphitheatre. These were dotted all over the vast Roman Empire. Just like celebrities of today, the gladiators gained massive fame among the lower classes. That's you and me. Kids played with clay gladiators, their portraits adorned walls in the town, and the A-lister gladiators even endorsed products. And the effect they had on women, and anyone who fancied men, obviously, was top-tier swoon fest. There's some graffiti in Pompeii that describes one fighter who catched the girls at night with his net. Wonder if he had a trident. Their fans wore hairpins dipped in gladiator blood and mixed their sweat into facial creams and cosmetics, thinking it would be a most excellent aphrodisiac. Have you ever woken up and thought, you know what I want to do with my life? Jump over a bull over and over again? Me neither, but the Minoans of ancient Crete did though. In Knossos, Crete, the Great Palace was built in 1950 BCE and was rediscovered by archaeologists in 1900. Within the palace was found a beautiful fresco depicting bull leaping as part of a ritual painted 2,400 years ago. The depiction is repeated many times over in Minoan art, and the bull is featured on pottery, frescoes, sculpture and coins. The bull itself was an important icon in Cretan culture, as it represented the sun and the power of light. It also served as a symbol of power and might, particularly the power of man over nature. During bull leaping, there were several ways that the leaper would get over the bull, one of them was to grab the horns, do a sort of backflip, use the power of the head's bull, <laughs> use the power of the bull's head, wanging, to propel the leaper into the air and over, landing on the back. How this was done while the bull was running about, I do not know. If you're anything like me, then you will have learned all there is to know about jousting by watching the 2001 film A Knight's Tale. I watched it at the cinema when I was 11 after my friend failed to add a year to her birth date when asked for proof to watch a 12 certificate film. Can't for the life of me remember what we were trying to get into, but I'm glad we watched A Knight's Tale instead because it is an absolute banger. I did do some research though just to make sure I was right, don't worry. The whole point of jousting started out as a way to keep knights fit as a fiddle and let them practice the skills and agility that they would need in battle. It was soon realised that people were absolutely lit to watch someone get smashed in the chest with a massive ass lance and so the popular sport was in full swing. 1066 is a year that is seared into the brain of most British people as the year that the Battle of Hastings took place and the Normans came in and fucked things up. Well it was also the year that we had the first reference to jousting. It had become so popular that regulations had to be put in place so everyone wasn't constantly taking part in tournaments. Most participants needed to be war-ready most of the time and the king didn't want them to be off their faces celebrating a tourney win. These events weren't cobbled together. Just like in the Knight's Tale, the competitors had to obtain a royal permit to participate. If fancy noblemen were not in any fit state to fight, they went ahead and hired a jouster to fight on their behalf. These jousters were known as... Wait for it. <laughs> 
this is the fact of the podcast episode. They were known as free freelancers. No, that's not a joke. That's literally where the term comes from. Uh, I love facts. Just like gladiators, successful jousters became immensely popular and would have songs and poems written about their prowess. Winners could win land titles and money, so it was a pretty good gig if you get if you could get good at knocking someone off their horse with a stick. I feel like I've not explained what jousting is, though you probably already know. Two knights in full armour get on horses on opposite side of a rail that goes through a field. They have two lances that are between six and seven feet long, with a maximum of limit of being ten feet. They would then run towards each other, try and knock the other off. The big strong blokes would choose heavy long lances to unseat their opponent with brute force, while slighter lads would have a lighter lance and hope that their technique would work. In 1524, your boy, Henry VIII, forgot to put his visor down and got a lance to the face just above his right eye, which gave him migraines for the rest of his life. Twelve years later, on the 24th of January 1536, Henry was taking part in a jousting tournament at Greenwich Palace. He was 44 at the time and was still married to his second wife, Anne Boleyn, that would only be for five more months. Dramatic pause. Jousting was quite dangerous and unfortunately for him, the king fell off his horse and found himself trapped beneath it. He was unconscious for two hours and sustained what some historians believe were traumatic brain injuries that would turn him into the tyrannical beast he would become. It's said that the Highland Games originate from Ireland in 2000 BCE and that they crossed the water into Scotland with the 4th and 5th century migrations of the Scotty into Argyll and beyond. In Scotland there were impromptu competitions at clan meets summoned by the clan chiefs. In 1746, the English passed the Act of Prescription, which attempted to outlaw the games along with kilt and the playing of bagpipes. The attempted obliteration of non-English cultures and customs was something that the English were big fans of, but we won't go into their countless atrocities now, as we'd be here all day. The Act was repealed 40 years later and the games started up again. Games include the Caber Toss, which is wanging a 19-foot-long log in the air with the aim of making it flip over in a straight line away from the player. The person closest to 12 o'clock wins. The hammer throw is a metal ball attached to a pole which is lobbed after spinning around to gain some power. The stone throw is like shot put but with a big ass rock. The weight throw is the same but with a kettlebell. The weight over the bar is throwing a 56 pound weight with a handle over a bar. The games are really fun to watch on TV and I'd love to watch them in person one day. In addition to the games there are also highland dancing competitions and bagpipe demonstrations. Wonderful! about lacrosse from the American Pie movies and have never given it much thought other than though wanging a ball using a stick it does seem pretty excellent. That is until I started researching for this episode and found out about its origins. We're landing in 1100 CE in North North America so let's just assume you should be wearing a coat. We're going to a lacrosse match played by the Native American Iroquois people. The match will be played by between 100 and 1000 men who much like the modern game will be using wooden sticks with net baskets or pockets attached. The balls, however, were wrapped in deer hide and the field itself had no boundary, so you'd better hope you've got some good shoes on. With this many people playing, you're probably wondering how everyone got a chance to get in on the action with only one ball to share between them. Don't worry though, because the game could go on for days at a time. For the native tribes playing, it wasn't just a game. It was used to settle disputes, a social event during trade meets, and it was used as physical preparation for war to get the lads toit. The native peoples of America see the sport as a gift from the creator, with the first game said to have been played between birds and mammals. 
There were, of course, no end of other sports that I chose not to cover because I didn't get excited reading about them. If I'm bored, then that's not good for news for you. It appears that sports are as old as humanity itself. I wonder what Neanderthals played. Rugby, probably. And that's your lot today, history fans. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Be sure to share with other history nerds if you enjoyed it. And to get a shout out in a future episode, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. Did you know that you can now leave a rating on Spotify? It literally takes about three seconds, and if you're not driving, you could do it right now. Unless it's going to be less than five-star, in which case, please don't. I've set up a coffee account, and I've popped the link in the show notes. Each episode takes about 12 hours to create, and I do everything myself. So if you enjoy Across the Ages, then feel free to support me by buying me a coffee. Five star reviews this week, here we go! Plant Queen says, Love this podcast. She always has the most interesting topics. I think so too, thank you Queen. Aaron says, It was 9th of May 2021, and I was today years old when I learned a new way to make alcohol. Hint, not by mouth, but through another bit of body opening. I'd say to you, what other podcast would do that? You and Rob deserve some coffees. Don't give Rob a coffee, it doesn't help at all. Seriously though, thank you for the review and the coffees. To get in touch, you can follow me on Twitter at underscore across the ages, or you can like my page on Facebook at Across the Ages Pod. Keep an eye out for the next episode where I'll be delving into another topic across the ages. 